All right, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. Continue our verse-by-verse look at this wonderful letter from Paul. To a man by the name of Titus who resided on the island of Crete, if you'll remember. And this letter is all about how to have order in the church. And our scripture reading may not seem like it's very connected to the book of Titus, but hopefully you'll see that later. Uh, You can see, at least from that uh, scripture reading this morning in James 3, how uh, sin brings disorder to a body. That's who James was essentially writing to a church the same way that that uh, Paul does in many of his letters, and is describing a similar truth of the necessity for order uh, within, among the body of believers. And that's exactly what Paul is writing about in his letter to Titus about how to have order in the church that is being established on the island of Crete. And we have seen that that this is done primarily through two ways, appointing elders and then teaching the people uh, to apply or teaching the people what to apply to their lives in order to have an orderly church. And we've been going through some of these different uh, demographics within the church. Uh, And today we come to uh, young men, the young men of the church. And I've entitled this message, How to Not Be a Hypocrite. Uh, and that is obviously we've seen hopefully that these that the the uh, attributes or the problems that Paul points out to the various demographics within the church really apply to to every one of us with some uh, points of emphasis for the various groups. And young men have some tremendous characteristics generally just as uh, the, all the other groups do as well. The older men, the older women, the younger women. Everybody has characteristics that set them apart, and, and it's true for the young men as well. And this kind of a lot of times will manifest itself in, in uh, vitality or strength, commitment to ideals, these kinds of, these kinds of things which are, which are wonderful. And they can also, uh, these same kinds of attributes, unfortunately, as humans, they, they can manifest themselves in a bad way as well. Uh, but young men can be committed to truth and virtuous ideas, other, and on the other hand, they can be equally as committed to uh, chasing after sin and youthful desires. And so Paul is here instructing Titus uh, to teach the young men, how to have their actions line up with their thoughts, how to not be a hypocrite, uh, in other words. We don't want to say one thing and do something else. There is nothing that destroys our testimony faster than that uh, in this life, and that doesn't just apply to young men, of course. That applies to, to all of us. But in particular, the young people, according to this letter, this pastoral epistle, as we have seen, that Paul wrote from uh, probably Greece to Titus, who was on the island of Crete there in the Mediterranean Sea, how to set things in order on that island. He wrote it probably, if you'll remember, after Paul wrote this, probably after his first Roman imprisonment, 64 to 66 is a good time frame of when he wrote this. And the letter is about how to have order in the church, as we have seen. Key principle of this letter, the church must be orderly. This is achieved through appointing godly leaders who teach the word and believers who apply this truth to their lives. And last time we were in verses 3 through 5, we looked at the critical role of women in the church, that they are to be, the older women in particular, are to be reverent there in their behavior. Just And it's likewise, just like the older men, the women are to be reverent as well. They're not to be gossipy. 
as it says there, malicious gossips. We saw again in our uh, scripture reading this this morning, it, James began that section by pointing out the importance of telling the truth and how dangerous our tongues can be. Well, here's a very similar warning from the Apostle Paul to, to the older women not to be malicious gossips. We saw that term there is translated from the Greek word diabolos, that 34 out of 37 times that that word is used in the New Testament, it refers to Satan himself. Talking, telling us, describing to us the, the nature of uh, lying and spreading lies and, and perhaps even telling the truth uh, about someone in a way that is tearing them down, lifting yourself up for a nefarious purpose. That's essentially the point. Just like uh, Satan, can, he can say things that are true. He can quote the Bible, but he twists it in such a way to, to bring advantage to himself. Uh, the, the older women were also charged to not be addicted to wine or intoxicants. She needs to be in her right mind to fulfill her role within the church. And we see there that is to be essentially to be an example to the younger women uh, within the church to encourage them, to train them is more what the word uh, implies there in verse 4. And we saw that primarily this uh, comes down to uh, the younger women within the church being charged with uh, their role in the home uh, as their main duty. And again, this is directed towards uh, the women who, who have children who are in this situation. It, this isn't a dictate to all women that, uh, you know, the only thing that you can do is have a husband and children, and this is, this needs to be all that you can possibly do. That this is directed towards the people who it's directed towards, the, the young women who are married and have uh, children. Uh, at this point in history, this was kind of the norm, and, and I would submit to you that, that it that it still is, in spite of what our society is trying to uh, push on us. At any rate, there were two kind of, uh, there are two kind of controversial topics here, if you will, that Paul uh, charges that the older women need to be an example to the younger women to encourage them to love their husbands, love their children and to be sensible, pure workers at home, these kinds of uh, ideas. That is to be the focus of the young women here and the example that the older set to the, to the younger. And that they are to be subject to their own husbands. And this idea of workers at home and subject to your husbands, these are the ones that kind of could make us bristle or these kinds of things because of, I would submit to you, because of the influence of the world in the society that we're living in, uh, and uh, perhaps our own sin nature, maybe there, there are there. If you're not offended by some things, or uh, that some things that maybe make you uncomfortable in the Bible, I think maybe you've got a problem with your conscience. <laughs> whoever, whoever you are out there, there is something for every one of us. So this isn't uh, the pastor picking on you ladies or, or the Bible, God picking on you. He picks on everybody, just so, we're, just so we're clear on that, because we all deserve to be picked on. We're all sinful in our own ways. Uh, so at any rate, the woman is given the domain of the home. That's the point. That, that, this is her area where she is, I will submit to you, specifically equipped, designed to do this kind of a thing. That's what she is, she is made to do. There, there are a lot of different kinds of bicycles uh, in the world, some for riding on trails, some for riding on the road. They're designed in a specific way to do a specific thing. And a mountain bike doesn't do as good on the road as a road bike does. Uh, men could be the stay-at-home dad. 99% of men, maybe more than that, are not designed to do that job like 
a woman is. She is given that responsibility. And as a husband, it behooves you to allow her to fulfill that responsibility. And I thought of a, an example this week as I'm reviewing. I don't want to take up too much of our time doing this, but it's similar to a navigator on a, on a Navy ship. The navigator is not the one in charge. He is a very, very important person on a Navy ship, however. He, he, uh, he outranks almost everybody, not the captain, obviously, but he is given a domain of responsibility, and it is to navigate the ship from here to there, to know where that ship is at all times, even when he's sleeping. He is, he is supposed to know where that ship is and where it is headed. He, he has responsibility to know where the dangers are out there and to have them marked on his chart and to make sure that the ship does not run into something that is dangerous and will cause harm to the ship. He is given that specific area of responsibility. And a good captain does not navigate the ship. He does not push the navigator aside and start navigating the ship. The navigator is specifically trained and equipped to do that job. And when, however, when or if the ship runs aground, the navigator gets fired. <laughs> Whether he's standing there or not, he's going to get fired. And you know who else gets fired? The captain gets fired as well because he is responsible for the overall action of that ship. And so uh, the, a good captain will allow his navigator to navigate and to do the things that he's trained to do. He's going to make sure that he's doing it the right way. But a good, and a good husband, it's similar kind of situation. He's not going to, he should not push the wife out of the way and take over because his wife is specifically equipped to do the job. The woman is also charged to submit to her husband here and many, many other places in the scriptures. Uh, and we saw that this is something that she does on her own. It is her own volitional act, action that she is doing. It doesn't say the man is to subject his wife. It's not a master-slave relationship. It's a partnership where one person is... Uh, allowing herself to be submitted to her husband so that we can uh, carry out the roles uh, that we are given by God from Eden, essentially, to humanity uh, still in the year 2023. So I hope that didn't uh, cause confusion or make it worse than what I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, said last week or changed something that certainly wasn't the intention uh, just to review and so today we get to the young men in verses six through eight we continue looking at the various demographic groups in the church and again we need to realize it's it's so critically important to realize what we are discussing here we are discussing our christian life sanctification, kind of what you may hear, the present tense of our salvation or the second phase of our salvation. We are not talking about how to receive eternal life. That's very clear from this passage, even. If we, if we pay attention to the language, it's so very clear that Paul is not saying do these things to receive eternal life. He says, for example... Uh, in verse 5. Older women do these things, be an example, encourage. Younger women uh, do these various things, be a person who loves your husband, loves your children, sensible, all of these various things, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. We'll see it again today. Uh, in verse 8. Young men, do these certain things. Titus, be an example of these certain things so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. If we were earning our salvation by doing these things, I'm pretty sure Paul would say in verse 5, 
He wouldn't say so that the word of God will not be dishonored. He would say so that you don't burn in hell for eternity, so that you don't lose your salvation, so that so that you can gain your salvation. He would he'd be kind of emphatic about that, and that is not at all what he says because justification for uh, past tense of our salvation, you may hear uh, uh, first phase of salvation received in a moment of time, in a blink of an eye, at the instant that you trust in Christ as your Savior. You trust, you understand who Christ is as the eternal Son of God who took on human flesh, came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, was literally buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. You trust in that because you understand that your sin separates you from a holy God. There's nothing that you can do to earn his favor. He bestows his favor on you at the moment that you trust in what Christ did for you. That's justification. And at the instant that you do that, you pass from death into life. John 5, 24. The, you, you move from death into life at the instant that you believe in Jesus Christ. Now you go about living your life. How do we do that? That's what the overwhelming majority of the Bible in terms of our salvation is actually about. This portion of life how do we live in a way that pleases God? That is what Titus chapter 2 is all about. How to be sanctified. How to walk by faith. What your life ought to look like as you are walking by faith. That is sanctification. Looking forward to our future tense of our salvation or the third phase of our salvation, glorification when Christ will come again in the clouds, raise us up to meet him in the air, take us back to heaven in glorified bodies. And this is what we are looking forward to. We're going to see that in Titus 2.11 through 14 when we get there. Looking forward to the time when Christ will come again. That serves as a motivating purpose for us. But in the meantime, we are right here in sanctification, uh, our, the present tense of our salvation. So today, how to not be a hypocrite, we'll begin with the command, and then we'll see the call and the conclusion. Notice Titus 2 and verse 6, it says, "...likewise urge the young men to be sensible." in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will not be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Uh, and I, I kind of stumbled over it there a little bit, if you notice, because of the way that our, our English Bibles uh, punctuate this, I don't think is quite correct. And uh, the writers of the Nestle and Allen 28 version of the Greek New Testament would agree. I, it's better to say I agree with them more than they're agreeing with me. <laughs> I agree with the way that they punctuate it, where they put the comma after in all things. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. It kind of it makes more sense grammatically and uh, it, just the way that the sentence is constructed there to say that, that, that Paul is telling Titus to urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Uh, and there's only the uh, Holman Christen, Christian Standard Bible, HCSB, that's the only one that I could find, other than NA28, the, that's kind of the Greek New Testament that most people will use, uh, punctuate the sentence this way. Uh, it's kind of interesting, not really sure why 
they chose to do it a different way. It probably reverts back to the way the King James is punctuated and, and those kinds of things. Uh, these are the kinds of discrepancies that we see in our English Bibles. Things like this. Uh, this is what's known as a textual variant. This really isn't even a textual variant because the commas, periods, and all of that aren't really in the text. We add those later. Uh, but at any rate, these are, the, these are the kinds of differences that we see in our Bible. There is not a Bible that says Jesus isn't God, uh, that isn't complete blasphemy at any rate. There isn't, uh, there isn't a version of the Bible that says Jesus isn't a human. Uh, there isn't one that says God didn't create the world, for example, uh, or that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world. There, there's no such thing as a Bible that, that has a, a textual variant or some kind of difference that is of that sort of theological importance. It's more like, where do you put the comma in Titus 2, 6? Those kinds of uh, things are what we're we're arguing about, which we don't really need to argue about. It essentially means the same thing either way. But notice verse 6, likewise urge the young men to be sensible. Again, another use of that word likewise. In other words, uh, the things that I'm about to tell you aren't all that different from the things that I've been telling you about the other groups of people. We're all in this together. We all have uh, sin that is separating us from fellowship with God. We all have areas of our lives that need to improve. And here are some specifics for the young men in this case. Young men probably directed at those who are in their 20s or so. Uh, have they been married? Do they have kids? Uh, uh, maybe, maybe not. Probably directed towards people who are in that uh, age range at any rate. And notice that he tells them, there, that he tells Titus to urge, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. That is actually a command there. Parakaleo is the Greek term, present active imperative. This is a command. There aren't a whole lot of commands in the book of Titus, but here, here is one. And he hasn't commanded uh, any Titus in terms of any of the other groups. Only, only this one, which is kind of, kind of interesting. I think that gets to the importance of what he is saying here. He is commanding Titus to urge the young men to be sensible. Present, active, imperative. This is something that you need to be doing. You are I am commanding you to be urging them. Be one who is urging these young men because they're going to need it. <laughs> they're going to need to be urged. And that, that's an interesting word there, translated as urge. It's the same word that Jesus used, or same root word that Jesus used to refer to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. In verse 7, in the upper room discourse, Jesus said to the apostles there, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, paraclete is the Greek term, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The The... The Holy Spirit there is, he's sometimes referred to as a comforter, uh, the, uh, the advocate here, it, it's uh, referred to, he's referred to as the helper in John 16, 7, same word, same root word. He is the urger. He is the one who is urging us to, to make decisions, to follow him, to trust in God, to trust in him to uh, direct us in the way that we ought to be living in this world. He is the one that empowers us to walk by faith in God, in this world, to help us in that second phase of our salvation. And he does that by 
not just convicting unbelievers there of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but you as a believer, have you ever need to be convicted about sin? I have. (laughs) And that's the Holy Spirit doing that. He convicts the world, everyone, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. We all need to be directed back towards God and His Word from time to time, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit, convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And here, Paul is telling Titus to, well, kind of do the same thing. Do the same thing that the Holy Spirit does, because these young men are going to need it. They are going to be need to be urged to be sensible in all things. Now, we have seen already that every single group is told to be sensible in their lives. And this is largely concerned with our thinking. It's the, the, the Greek term, sophroneo is the Greek term, present active infinitive in this case. But it, it is that the idea that you need to be thinking clearly at all times. Uh, you need to, to have your mind being directed in the correct way in all times. Again, every group, uh, it, the elders, verse 8, they're supposed to be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, same Same Greek term there. The older men in the church are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. Older women as well are to be uh, training the younger women. So in in order to train someone to be sensible, you have to be sensible yourself. Uh, Verse 5, one of the attributes that they are to be emphasizing is this idea of being sensible. And so likewise, this is the only command directed towards the young men to be in your right minds in all things, to continually be uh, focusing your attention on the correct thing. It is a nonstop battle for, uh, I'm going to guess, not just the young men, but all the men. And in fact, all of us. This is uh, how we are to be correcting our thinking, directing it back towards the Lord and His Word, renewing your mind. That's what Paul says to the uh, Romans in Romans chapter 12. That, that is the key to sanctification is the controlling of our thinking initially, Primarily, that's where the battle is is won and lost initially, is right between our ears. We don't just suddenly find ourselves, oh, gee whiz, how did I get here to rob this bank? I, I don't know what happened. Oh, why is that person dead over there? I just don't even know how, what, how in the world did I get from here to murdering this person? Cain could have said to Abel or any number of people, who have murdered someone. Yeah, there's a process going on there. And it ends up, or it begins right in our minds. And that's why it's so critical for these young men to be sensible in all things. Control your thinking in all things, in every area of life. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a society eventually that is pagan, which is exactly where we are headed in this world today. It's very interesting uh, that how paganism essentially vanished from the world after Christ. That was kind of, uh, not, not essentially, it definitely did in the Western world. Everywhere where Christianity is gone and the, and the Word of God has gone, paganism left. It's coming back, in case you didn't realize it. People uh, in America have a paganistic outlook on the world, and their actions are beginning to show it. That's why we see the uh, degrading things that are going on in our country and in our in Western society today is because we have abandoned God 
And where God isn't, Satan is going to fill the vacuum, and Satan fills the vacuum with uh, paganism, multiple gods, or a world without God. That's uh, uh, kind of Marxist thought. And in the end, it looks very similar to paganism, as described in Romans 1, 18. Uh, Notice what Paul says there, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That, that is uh, Karl Marx, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, Sigmund Freud, all of these kinds of people are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Look around. Go outside right now. Yesterday was one of the most glorious days that I remember in my entire life. It was incredible. And then you go outside at nighttime and it cools off. And you see the planets in the, in the sky. This, this creation could not possibly have happened by chance. It isn't possible. There is a God. He made this place. It is evident to us if you just open your eyes and, and look around. Verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. What does that sound like? That sounds like the battle that began in their mind. They knew God with their brain. They did not honor Him with their brain or give thanks to Him with their brain. They were not sensible. They were not in their right minds. It's right before us that God is there. And we are to honor him because he has given us life. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, we, we kind of uh, skip over that when, if you ever, I find myself looking at Romans 1 a lot for some reason, but uh, we tend to skip over that first, very first form of idol that's there. Exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image uh, in the form of corruptible man. That's humanism. Thinking you've got all the answer in your brain and you can come up with uh, the, the solve the problems of life in your own brain. That is uh, humanism in a nutshell that's being described there and of birds. I mean, obviously, you think of the Israelites and, and all of the pagan people, they create gods that look like animals and these kinds of things. But it begins with that first one. Humanism, thinking you have the answers. What does God do? He gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We know about truth in our brains, sensible in all things. When we don't do that, when we exchange the truth of God and who he is and what he's revealed to us in, our, in his word, we replace it with lies from our own thinking or some other uh, brilliant guys, brilliant guys thinking. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then you end up worshiping the thing that you're lifting up, either yourself, this bird, uh, sexual activity, as we're going to see, is the, the main way that people fall into error. Uh, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And he goes on from there, verse 28, and as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are, what, what does that say? What's the first thing, the first word that he uses to describe them? They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. It seems as if this passage is describing 21st century America because people were not sensible in all things. The number one command given to Titus to urge the young men to be sensible in all things. The Cretans were, are, were described by Paul, who he said that it's accurate by someone else. Paul says it's accurate that they are liars. They exchange the truth of God for lies. They are evil beasts. They do what is coming. What does a beast do? A beast, acts, he acts like an animal because he is an animal. The Cretans were acted like animals. Uh, they did whatever their brains uh, wanted them to do instead of controlling their thinking. They allowed their darkened minds to influence their actions. And they are lazy gluttons. Again, gluttony and being an evil beast, uh, gluttony, just feeding yourself, whatever, whatever, uh, comes to mind. You just do it because it tastes good. So I'm just going to eat it. And uh, that is being a, a glutton. It goes right along with being lazy many times. They are not in their right minds. All of those things are stemming from not being in your right mind, not controlling your thinking, not directing your thinking back towards God and righteousness and the things that we find in his word. Uh, Paul had a similar kind of admonition to Timothy himself in this regard. As we see Romans chapter 1, this forgetting God invariably manifests itself in sexual immorality. Period. Every pagan religion, say it again, every pagan religion, the end result is sexual immorality immorality. God has told us in his word that just like there is one God and one way to be made right with him, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, he gives us the example of uh, sexual intercourse to kind of mirror that. There is one way that that activity is correct in God's eyes. And that is between a man and a woman who are married to one another. That is the one way for that relationship to be correct. Paganism, so when we forget God, it's going to manifest itself in every way, shape, and form that is possible in our depraved minds. Very similar to the way that paganism itself says, oh, there are many gods. There are many ways to be right with the gods or with the universe or this kind of thing. We can do, think, whatever we think is right. God tells us there is one way. So as a young person, when you are not in your right mind, when, or, or as an older person, if you haven't uh, uh, matured and you're still as an older person living like a younger person, you need to be, have control over your thinking because it will invariably end up in sexual immorality. That's why we saw last time that this sophroneo, this idea of being sensible, it's also equated with being chaste. Because when you depart from God, it's going to end up in sexual immorality. Paul warned Timothy about that. 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Step one, Flee youthful lust, Timothy, and then you can 
Go on and fulfill the things that the Lord has for you to do. These young people are to do the same thing. Don't be like the Cretans. The Cretans were literally pagans. It manifests itself in these various areas according to their own uh, poets. So instead of being a liar, evil beast, a lazy glutton, be like God. Uh, Live according to the truth of God. Uh, we, we, our society is manifesting itself exactly the same way as it has in the past. And so, unfortunately, this kind of uh, thinking is making its, this kind of pagan thinking and pagan influence is making its way into the church as well. And that's a, a, obviously a, a big problem that we need to avoid. We always need to be going back to God's Word and telling and teaching and understanding what God's Word says to us, not what the culture is telling us, not what uh, the latest psychology is, is telling us. Go back to the Scriptures, back to the Word, and renew your mind through that. Next, notice the call. The command urged the young man to be sensible in all things. The call, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. In verses uh, 7 in the beginning of verse 8, again, those numbers there in your Bibles, those aren't inspired. Uh, Sometimes there can be some discrepancies and that kind of thing. That's okay. Show yourself to be an example. It's kind of interesting the way that that Titus, that Paul uh, is constructing this, and it it isn't perfectly clear whether or not he's switching to tell Titus to be the one who is the example. Certainly he wants Titus to be an example for these younger people uh, he could also be telling the young men to to show yourselves to be an example as well. Live out these same things. Either way, it's obvious that he wants the young men to live in this way, the same way that he wants Titus to do that. Titus is absolutely supposed to be uh, leading by example, just ex- just the same way that Titus or Timothy was to be doing the same thing. Paul wrote these letters, at least 1 Timothy and Titus, probably in similar time frames. Uh, And he says a lot of the same things to each one of them. But 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Be an example to the believers. And you are to be doing this all the time. This is to be something that could be used as an ad, uh, an adjective to describe your life, essentially. Present, middle, participle. Do it for your own good. That's kind of the meaning of the middle voice there. But be, be doing it all the time. Showing yourself as an example is the, the implication there. And that word for example is typos or tupos, depending on who you listen to uh, say the Greek term, but where we get our word type, pattern, example. uh, Be a type for the other people to follow. And notice that it is in doing good deeds, essentially, is what is being described there uh, in all showing yourself to be an example of good deeds. Good deeds is absolutely one of the themes of Titus. That's why uh, he is setting the church in order, teaching them these things so that they will uh, live these things out, so that they will be uh, doing good deeds. Notice Titus 2 14, beginning in verse 11, where Paul uh, starts 
talking about the uh, third phase of our salvation here, the, the glorification that needs to be serving as motivation for us. Verse 11, Titus 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. He says there, and Titus is to be an example of good deeds. The young men are to be an example of good deeds as well. And so, uh, that's the whole purpose of setting the church in good order or setting the church in order so that they are equipped to engage in good deeds. And, and how, are those, how do those good deeds manifest themselves? Well, with purity in doctrine, being dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. This uh, same idea, purity in doctrine, notice it begins with that. You, got, you have to have purity in doctrine before your deeds are going to have any value at all. That's why Paul's letters to churches uh, most of the time follow that exact pattern. He gives them doctrine and then he gives them duties. Uh, we can we can uh, engage in good deeds until we are blue in the face. And guess what that accomplishes for us if we don't have this? If you don't have justification, you can do good deeds from now until uh, the kingdom comes and you're going to stand before Almighty God and he's going to ask you why I should let you in, you know, as the story goes. Uh, well, I did all of these good deeds. I healed people in your name. I fed people in your name. I handed out bottles of water in the church parking lot. Uh, and it was really hot that day. I, I did this all for you. What is Jesus going to tell us according to his, his own words? Depart from me I, because I never knew you. You know God through faith in Jesus Christ, which you do again in a moment of time. You trust in him and he gives you graciously eternal life will allow you into his presence for eternity. This is not earning you this in any way, shape, or form. You need purity in doctrine before you get to your duties. One of which is to uh, be dignified. Again, just like the older men were to be dignified there in verse 2, the younger men are to be dignified as well. And as I mentioned before, we won't uh, go into it all that deeply again this time, but the world really needs some dignity. There's an example in Proverbs 7 of a young person not living dignified. Notice how it manifests itself. Proverbs 7, 4, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive, the kind of the undignified, the unthinking, the unsensible, and discerned among them, among the youths, a man lacking sense. And he goes to the woman and he is taken in by her, uh, by the things that she's saying to commit adultery, not uh, engaging in the one way that God says is acceptable, one of the many other ways that humans say is acceptable. Uh, verse 24 of Proverbs 7, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. See, that guy, the, the man, the young man that's being described there didn't just suddenly find himself in the house of the adulteress. Gee, I, what happened? How did I get here? It's a process. 
he turned his heart from the Lord and it invariably manifests itself in sexual immorality, just like it does here in Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Uh, Have some dignity. Don't do that. Uh, don't live that way. Keep your, keep your mind sensible, focused on the Lord and his word, and you will find yourself that you are sound in speech as well as you are doing that. Uh, the sound in speech, same word there is hygiene that we've seen before, clean, pure, so that it's above uh, reproach. James chapter 3, he begins that chapter, that's why we read it in our scripture reading, discussing the dangers of the tongue. We need to have that under control. We have that under control by being sensible in all things, having our thinking directed in the correct way. Young men, essentially, uh, men in general, young men in particular, have two areas that get us ourselves into trouble, uh, sexual immorality in our mouths, the things that we say. And both of those are generated from within, just as Jesus said. The things that come out of our mouths are starting in our hearts, in our brains. Our actions begin in our hearts, in our, in our minds, the way that we are thinking. Be sensible in all things. Verse 6 is telling us. Quickly, we get to the conclusion. Why is this important? So that, verse 8, the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Uh, Again, so that, hina clause, it's that Greek term, hina, that is uh, translated as so that there is a result, there's an intended result from these actions. It's not just uh, so that we can uh, be impressive or that kind of thing. No, there's a, there's a specific reason why Paul is telling uh, Titus to do these things. And as I've already emphasized, it's not for your your eternal life. It is for a different purpose. It's so that, it says there, the opponent will be put to shame. Now, unfortunately, uh, there can be opponents within the church that that need to, quote-unquote, be put to shame. Uh, And... Paul has already talked about that in Titus 1.9. In his admonition to appointing elders and the qualifications of elders, we've seen that there is a result of that, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This isn't talking about uh, telling Titus to go out on the streets and be a street preacher with a megaphone and, and you'll be able to you'll be able to nail those atheists every time. No, he's talking about people in the church. You teach things, there could be resistance to it. Well, you've got to know the word so that you can uh, stand up for the people who are refuting the things that you say. And notice Titus 3.10, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. It's talking about people within the church, opponents within the church. Of course, there are opponents outside of the church also. Uh, And Peter talks about that, 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We uh, live our lives in such a way that even when people are making fun of us as Christians, oh, I, 
made the mistake of commenting on a video and somebody responded, oh, it must be nice to believe in the sky god, uh, <laughs> which is, no, that, that pagans had a sky god. My god uh, is ubiquitous. He's everywhere. He's not just in the sky. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. But <laughs> it, you can uh, be an example to those outside of the church uh, when they're condemning you as an evildoer, you know, when God comes again, you know, uh, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll see how it, how it all plays out in the end. And they're going to be put to shame when God comes in his day of visitation. So there, there is a role for this uh, for people outside of the church as well. And he talks about shame there. That, that's a word that could have, uh, it does have a negative connotation uh, there, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Uh, that word can have uh, several definitions, but it's the idea of losing honor, losing respect, uh, being shown to be wrong uh, is, is the, uh, what is going there. Uh, a lot of times people are, are, don't realize that they're shamed when they should realize that they're being, <laughs> that they're being shamed. That kind of gets back to that, uh, dignity thing. Uh, but at any rate, we need to be living in such a way that the people, uh, the, the opponents really don't have anything to say about us, uh, they can they can complain and carry on, but they're they're actually uh, kind of pointless, and that's what Paul is getting to there in Romans twelve after describing spiritual gifts and how they're to be used in the church by people. Uh, he kind of concludes it with verse seventeen. He says, "Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with." all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Live in such a way that the person, uh, whoever it is, can't have possibly have a complaint about you in the way that you're living, and then therefore blaspheme God. That's what always happens. When you live in disobedience to God, the outsider, the, the unbeliever is going to look at your life and say, see, that Christian doesn't even do it. Uh, and certainly there is no God, or I, do, I would never want to worship a God like that, these kinds of things. That's blasphemy uh, against God. And if we are, the young men in particular, being sensible in all things, they will have nothing to say about us. Our lives will be above reproach, just like the elders were told to be above reproach. We can see uh, the, the devastation that happens in the church and in people's lives when pastors uh, don't live in this way, and it invariably ends up in some kind of sexual sin or horrible sin, that kind of behavior has a deep and lasting effect on people. Uh, women, mothers, are to be above reproach in their behavior with their husbands and their children. And when they're not, it can cause deep, lasting harm in people's lives. Fathers, older men, same exact thing. I, I'm sure there are numerous uh, examples that people have in our little church here of fathers, mothers, pastors who have acted inappropriately, and it has a real negative effect on people's lives uh, for a long time and very difficult to deal with. This is why we aren't to be hypocrites. Some of these things can have kind of spiritual consequences in other people's lives that we don't even that we don't even realize the kind of damage that we can be doing when we live in sin, when we act hypocritically to other people 
around us. Uh, Romans 2.24, Paul says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written, alluding to Isaiah 52 there. When we live as people who uh, are not keeping God's word, we're hypocritical and we cause can cause great damage in this world. That's why it is so very important for Paul says here, in particular, the young men to not be hypocrites. Be sensible in all things. Control your thinking. And you're going to find that it manifests itself in being an example of good deeds, purity in doctrine, dignified in sound in speech, so that we can be pleasing to the Lord and the unbelieving world will have nothing bad to say about us. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the letter to Titus that is so relevant for us today as we uh, live in a world that is, uh, in a nation that is sliding back into paganism. I just pray that we would be faithful to your word, that, that, uh, that we would walk according to it each moment of the day, trusting in you and the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. I just pray that you would guide us and direct us in this, that you would forgive us when we don't. Uh, uh, And we know that you will because you're faithful and you're just and you're righteous and you will cleanse us from our sins. And we just thank you so much for that. I pray that you would go with us in this week to come. Help us to to, uh, put our money where our mouth is and, and to live according to your word that we see here in Titus, and really throughout the scriptures, that we would be faithful to you and be sensible in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now may the Lord bless you.